Good morning. Wilkinson here. Today, my guest is Ben Miller. Who is Ben Miller, you ask? Well, from my perspective, Ben is a really good friend of a lady that I interviewed a while back, Lorendi Ruse, who had a fabulous podcast. And she said to me one day, oh, you have to interview my friend, Ben. So we've been dialoguing a little bit. Now he's passing through and he's here and I'm happy about it. And here he is. So say hello. Hi, I'm Ben Miller. There's Ben who Miller. Is, who is who is who ben is Miller? Ben Miller? That's a <laughs> okay. So when we were talking before we did this, he said, "Well, do you have questions?" And of course, I never have written questions for anyone. Then he's thinking about, "Well, what am I? What do I want to talk about?" And he was talking to his good friend out of town, and he said, "What? Take it from there, Ben, and let's hear what what that was all about." So I was texting. I'm on my way to Flagstaff for a recital, and my college roommate Jeff lives in Flagstaff. He's a math professor. And I said, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. And this is in two hours. And he sent me the title of the podcast. And the title of the podcast is Searching the Wonderlust of a 60-Year-Old Gay Man from Pender to Pittsburgh, from Lincoln to LA, and many points in between. Well, that brings up a lot of questions, things to talk about. How long have you been a gay man? What brought you from one spot to another is another one. And what's the wonderlust about? What what drives you to move around? So just, I'm going to just let, let it rip. Talk about, what do you want to talk about first? Wow. There is a story, a mythology, a, a, a myth, only because I cannot remember exactly things that happened when I was four years old, but... The first thing that came to mind when you said, how long have I been a gay man? This particular story is not necessarily all positive, but it was the moment when I am aware in hindsight that I was already hungry for male attention. I was four years old and the neighbor boy was uh, 14 years old. He was 10 years older than I am. I have an older brother, John who was eight at the time. My sister Renee was six. And I remember, and it came back to me when I was in the 20s, early 30s, my 20s, my early 30s, that he babysitted. He was the babysitter that day. And he took me down into the basement, locked the basement door, and there was sexual behavior that would be categorized as invasive or inappropriate or pick a negative label label to put on it. And my emotional memory of that day is not of invasion or horror. My emotional memory was from a week or two later when he came back to babysit and I wanted to go back down into the basement and he wouldn't. And I felt I had done something wrong. So already at the age of four, I was hungry for male attention, and he served that need, and I felt as if I had done something wrong and was in a way that a four-year-old could be. I was sad and grief-stricken, thinking and ashamed, because obviously if I hadn't done something wrong, I would still get the male attention. So when you ask, how long have I been a gay man... Hmm. That was where my mind went, was like, well, at least the need for male connection was present at the age of four years old. We were in a small village in northeast Nebraska where I was being raised, and 
I just never felt like I belonged in a small farming village in Nebraska. The irony here is that I am beloved by people in my hometown. Hmm. When I walk down the street visiting my brother, people come out on their porch and say, Benny Miller, don't you walk past my house without coming to say hello. So there is a discrepancy between my ability to receive their love and my interpretation of feeling alone, separate, distant from all of these people, many of whom still to this day look on me with great fondness. So that would be, I would say, if, if, if I were going to characterize 60 years of living on this planet, I would say it's that journey that we all go through, I believe, on some level of ours is not to seek for love, ours is but to remove the barriers that keep love from arriving. Mm. And that would be the best encapsulation of my experience on this planet. The three notes that I made, you were chuckling as I was writing. I only have three notes, but this is where my mind has been lately. Since the characterization of our species as homo sapiens scientifically has been designated, it's estimated there have been 117 billion members of the homo sapiens species born on this planet, a rough estimate. The universe, as far as we know, is 13.77 billion light years away, and Earth is only 4.5 billion years old. So Earth is about, what is that, 9 billion years younger than our universe. Hmm. And I am one, and you are one, of 117 billion homo sapiens. So then my question becomes, how important can we be? And what defines our importance? Hmm. That's a good question. Did you come up with any answers? <laughs> well, no, but I <laughs> think are it's... are you pondering that? I'm pondering that, but right. I think it's the ability to right. give and receive love. Wow. wow. That's pretty awesome. And that math just kind of... I'm, I'm pretty good at math, but the, those numbers just kind of blew me away a little bit there. <laughs> right? I think particularly... How many people have existed? I don't know how they would come up with that, but that's an interesting number there. Well, it stems from they've estimated when we became what we now call Homo sapiens. They just, I think they just looked at the characteristics and made a decision, you know, so okay. it's obviously not accurate. There's no way of knowing, but it's still a huge number. It is. What else did you put on that list? <laughs> just... I'm fascinated by the size of the universe. I'm fascinated by what scientists have identified as, I don't know, likely? Is that a good word? Right. I'm fascinated by how huge it all is and how self-important I have on occasion felt in my life. And the two don't really go together for me. Not that my desires and my heart and what I want and how I proceed through this life doesn't matter. But under the best of circumstances, I'm going to probably live to be about 95 years old. So I got another 35 years. Where does that leave me in terms of who do I need to be and what do I want to contribute? If I am nothing more than like a grain of sand on a beach, like we have that many millions, billions of people 
it, it's just, these are the kind of conundrums that I just let float around in my brain. Well, as you were speaking, though, I, I mean, there's one way of thinking, yeah, I'm a spec. That's that's one way. But I was just thinking as you were as you were saying that, wow, I get to be part of that and I'm aware. That's pretty cool. And I, you know, this, the complete, the, the main focus of every day of my life is to just spend between 45 minutes and an hour in complete silence in meditation. And it's morphed over the years. And right now I'm going through a period where I just breathe in, thank you, and I breathe out, use me. That's a good way of putting it. As and, far as as far as the silence, I'm I've been doing twelve minutes of silence. So you're way ahead of me. <laughs> you're you're further down the path. Well, it's but not. I'm, you got to start somewhere. No, it's not. And I and I think that's you know I'm sitting in this gorgeous room and I'm sitting in you know I'm looking at the art and the way you've decorated and I'm like there's no there's no competition. Right. We bring ourselves we bring ourselves to the game and do the best we can. Every day. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I don't feel I'm competing. I, I feel I'm at 12 minutes and that's cool. I yeah. was at no minutes before, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that was good. But I do think it's, I think moments of reflection. I'm all for navel gazing. I completely am all for just like chill out, hop off the hamster wheel, take a deep breath or two, feel the sensuality of the swimming pool or a lake or a ocean. I'm not a great hiker, but I understand the desire to be amongst all the sights and the smells of an of a, right. of a mountain trail. Right. Or for that matter, a busy coffee shop. Like, right. uh, it's just, it's all, you know, we get to choose from column A, column B, and all the way down the line. Right. And when you say that, because I'm from the Northwest, and that originally from the East Coast, but I lived most of my adult life in around the Seattle area. But yes, the mountains, I go there and that's my therapy. I would run away. I did real estate forever and it was kind of stressful a lot of times. And I, I would just literally pack up and go up and just sit up. It's an astounding prospect. Right. I love the idea. So talk, let's talk about your silence. So what is your mind doing when you're in the 45 minute silence? I started this recently. So it's 45 minutes, 140. 40 days ago, give or take. Okay. But I was losing my mind. I because felt, of the, what's going on on the planet now or what? No, I am a recovering addict. Okay. And about two or three times a year for about two or three days, I go down a very, very dark, depressive rabbit hole. Okay. And I've learned. So when I first got sober in 1987, it was constant. That rabbit hole of depression took two or three years just to dig myself out and keep going to meetings and connect right. with people and share what was going on as best I could and start to get an emotional vocabulary. But it, it was 24-7. It was nonstop. It was depression. It was, why am I on this planet? Oh, dear God. You know, all of, like, just, it was constant. And then about 10 years in... It's sort of ratcheted down because of making new choices and developing new habits. It's sort of ratcheted down to maybe four or five times a year for a week. Mm. And then over the years, it's just gotten very, very, it's not predictable when it's going to show up, but it's only for like two or three days. And it's no longer, it, it feels bearable until this last time. 
And I don't know what was different in the circumstances, but I was not being kind to myself with my thinking. I was, I was wondering how I was going to move through it. And mind you, I've been through it for years. So moving through it for me is a matter of go to the swimming pool, meditate, play a favorite piece of music, go play the piano, read that book that you've already read seven times, whatever. There's a list of tools. Right. But for some reason, I was there for three or two or three or four days this last time. And I thought, okay, you know what to do. You've got to go deeper. There's something knocking on the door. You don't want to open the door. You got to open the door or you're going to, you're going to maintain a sense of misery that you don't want to sustain. Not that I couldn't survive it. Who wants to live that way? Right? right. So it started about, I don't know, 130 days ago, 140 days ago. And it took 40 days just to quiet my mind down and be present to my breath. It took another 40 days to realize, oh, you wake up with a sense of anxiety. That's just sort of a natural state. And then it took another 40 days to get to what's underneath the anxiety. And for some reason, I felt like I had a choice. And so I started using that mantra, thank you, use me. Thank you, mm. use me. Now, the, here's the interesting thing. The first thing that happened when I started saying, use me, if you're opening yourself up to be used... You end up on a podcast. I, and, <laughs> I like that. That's very funny. And yes, you might become the object of somebody else's projection, someone who you've always been f fine with in your estimation might all of a sudden decide that you're not the person they want to be around. Like anything's possible. You've opened yourself up to be used. Someone's using you to heal. It may right. or may not have anything to do with me, but I have to just breathe through it and say, okay, do your work. Ben Miller, take stock of who you are and where you stand right. in this particular situation. Try not to be cruel or judgmental about what they need, but they've decided. Uh, I just recently feel like a friend of mine just sort of turned 180 degrees, and we're in a period of space. And I love this person deeply. And we've been close daily for like the last four or five years. I had to just step away from the stove, and I had to take a broader perspective because I'm the one that says, thank you, use me. Right. And I am, sometimes I still feel at the effect of somebody else's perception of me, which mm. is, in my estimation, not really any of my business. Right. But it's hard. But, you know, saying all that, it was, it brought up so many things for me. Because, you know, I, I've been doing energy work with Mark Hollenstein, my guy here in Palm Springs, for about five years. And I'll just try to remember a couple of them. I didn't jot anything down as you were speaking. But um, the first thing was the anxiety. Because what I learned, even in my 12 minutes, and Mark's been talking about this, is I think with the chaos going on in the world right now, a lot of what we feel is not our stuff. So the energy is just the collective energy and it's it's can be pretty overwhelming at times so i've had to, like i a couple of weeks ago i had a time where i woke up and i just felt totally bummed out and everything was going great there's no reason to feel bummed out at all but it was i sat down i sat with it and it was not my stuff and once i just said i acknowledge that but that's not me and i i kind of let go of that in in the quietness and it really changed things
But the only thing when you were talking, as far as your recycling, and I work with Mark, I listen to various podcasts, and a lot of people are saying the same thing nowadays. But um, and I see things visually a lot. I see pictures, and as you were talking, and I'm look sitting here looking at you, I just had this picture, and it was almost like when you're talking about the addiction and everything was so heavy at first. What I was picturing was a washing of you, and the first thing was all of the stuff just came out. You know, it's like the first wash, just, just really a lot. And I'm not saying it's dirt, but it's stuff. It's just all coming out. Okay. Then it recycles, but then there's another, like a year later, what, six months later, whatever, some more stuff will come up. And so that's washed away. And to me, to me, it's like, it's, it's a whole cycle happening for you to, to bring you where you want to be is, is actually what I see there. And I'm just, looking at you seeing that it's really wild i absolutely agree with you and yeah. i believe it's the most perhaps the thing that binds human beings most clearly is that it's a very human experience it's right. a very human experience to have to go through a period where you're like something's got to change i got to go deeper i got to connect differently I don't want to push this ache away because right. I think it's an educational right. tool. But by the same token, because of who I am, you know, I mean, I, as I'm speaking to you, I think when I did an inventory my very first time in AA right. in 1988, my sponsor looked at me after I read him my inventory <laughs> and he said, I have two things to say to you. Number one, anytime you're in a public setting, and you have a choice between having two empty seats on either side of you or you're sitting next to another human being, always move and sit next to another human being. Move toward, okay. Number two, people like you should not own handguns. And I said, are you worried about homicide or suicide? And he said, yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. But that's where I was. That was the darkness in 1987 and 1988. So he just saw all of the darkness. Yeah. Wow. And I don't, I mean, personally, just a personal belief and certainly in my own space and in my own world, I don't see the point in owning a gun. Right. I, I was having a hard time picturing you with a gun. Right. <laughs> right. The third, the third thing, going back to what you were saying earlier, the third thing was you said your friend was like pulling away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny because yesterday, Mark and I had a session yesterday, we were talking about it. And he, he said right now the, in the energies going on, there are people, let, let me backtrack a little bit. So the point of COVID was to get us to all look inward. And some of us really went inward and we we're, there's phenomenal change that's happened. I'm not saying that in a braggy way. I'm just saying I've chosen to like really look at stuff in my life and, and change. And a lot of people on the planet have done that. Then there are others that are aware of stuff, but they don't want to look at it. So he said, right now, there will be people that choose to walk away from you and they will stand back. He said, they may recycle around and come back and they may not, but they, they don't want to be where you are. You've made a choice of where you're going and they're making a choice. And, and he said, it's okay. You just need to let, stand back and let them do what they need to do. So I, I suspect that's probably what's going on with you. I think that's an ongoing, I think, yes, right. I would agree with you 100%. Yeah. And I also think really the magic of this universe in my mind is that it's a huge buffet. <laughs> and 
you get to choose. I want this. I right. don't want that. And you sometimes stand at the buffet and you're spending time with sometimes an entire group of people. And then four years later, five years later, 10 years later, you no longer, you want, you want to move to a different part of the buffet. Right. There's absolutely nothing out of ordinary about that. Right. It's very human. In Mike's, you know, I love the fact that you and I are, you know, I don't, I don't need to know how old you are, but you were in the ballpark of the same age. I'm 60 years old. And. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually 73. Well, fabulous. There you go. Fabulous. I'm, so I'm, let's see. So I have 22 years left. We're going on the same timeline of 95. <laughs> I better hurry up and get my act together. Just kidding. <laughs> I just really appreciate perspective. And I also loved being 20 and 20 years old, 30 years old, and 40 years old and thinking, oh my God, the world is still my oyster. I can do whatever right. I want. And on some level, I do believe the world is still my oyster and I can do whatever I want. But the perspective offers a different trajectory, a different right. method of pursuit. Well, you know, things are always changing. So, you know, I'm really hoping that by, you know, we figured it out. So by the time I'm 95, 95 will be the new 50. <laughs> well, we'll see. So let's just pick a number. You, you brought it up, so I'll use it. So you have 35 years left. So what's on the horizon for you? What do you see? I want to answer by contextualizing. Okay. Until August of 2014, I had never stayed in the same place for longer than two or three years, except for my parents' home that I was raised in. Right. So I lived in that home from, we moved there in 1970, and I left in 1980 to go to college. So that 10-year span, that was the home that my parents built and that I was raised in. So that's the longest home you lived in? Correct. Okay. And then in 2014, and this is after having owned a house in Pittsburgh and have to after having owned a condo in LA that I adored, I find myself moving to a back house in Altadena, California. And I've been there since. And it has provided a sense of calm and a sense of peace and a real sustained joy from a larger perspective that I relish. And I can't see myself leaving that. Hmm. Is it like a casita in the back of a of a big house or something like that? Or yeah, it's what? just a it's just a it's actually a remodeled garage. Upstairs there's a two bedroom. I live downstairs in the one bedroom. And it's kind of a little community. The landlord and her two sons live in the front house. Uh, my friend Heather lives upstairs and we just met when she moved in, but I feel akin to her. So for me to be in a place for eight years when most other places I lasted three years max feels like a shift that I that I welcome. It's interesting. I only have one fear that's gonna that's for sure going to get me out of this home that I've created. What's that? The fear of Southern California drought. Like I've been thinking I about move, that lately. Do I want to move to a place? I for sure I want to live in a place where I can always get a drink of water pretty easily. That's how simple. Right. That's how simple it gets for me. And I've always had this romantic fantasy about Burlington, Vermont. So I don't know, but but that is the only, when you look at all of the possible barriers to staying in a place, the only one that I can sort of latch my sort of anxiety fear mechanism on is uh, water shorted. And I feel, yeah, that's that's pretty manageable, right? I mean, it's, as far as fears go, it's not the monster underneath the bed. It's something that can 
pretty much be managed so far. So you're in Pasadena. What do you do with yourself right now? What's your, uh, what's your life about? I, as a result of, so three years ago was the last time I showed up at a job job. And I made it, I made it, I actually said it out loud. I said, okay, guy. And that's kind of me talking to a higher power universe kind of thing. I don't really want to go back to the rat race. I am grateful that my parents left me this money. I don't want to re-enter anything that starts to smell like a hamster on a wheel. So I'll just pick up the phone and I will answer any call for assistance that comes to me. I won't look at the number. I won't screen the call. If it rings, I'll pick it up. If someone says, I need help moving boxes on Thursday, I'll show up. If someone says, come and help me paint my room, I'll show up. Well, you remember you're on a podcast right now, so I don't think we better put your phone number. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but what I'm... Here's the guy. No, what I'm communicating is right. that you know, over the last 35 you're years... yes. So 35 yeah. years of sobriety, right. I have accumulated hundreds of phone numbers of people that I genuinely love right. and want to offer. So, for example, last night, someone that I adore, he lives in LA, but he was working in Washington, D.C., and he called me... So it must have been 9.30 his time, 6.30 in Palm Springs. And he was just in a state and he just needed someone to listen. He asked right. me for advice and I'm like, I'm loath to give advice. You're having a day. The day's almost over and tomorrow might look better. Right. Uh, and that's really all a recovering addict needs. They mm -hmm. just need to be reminded that it's just a day. If you have to, you can take a hot bath and go to bed at 6.30 at night nobody's judging you. And if they are, <laughs> you don't need them in your t on your team. Exactly. So that's sort of currently my role. I have two scripts that I'm working on. Wow. My mouth just got mushy and I'm like, two scripts. <laughs> there is some water there. Why don't you take a sip? <laughs> it's okay. So, so there are two scripts that I'm working on and both are really activating an old uh, wound that I inherited from my family that has to do with homophobia and racism. Hmm. And I'm so grateful for the conversation in our country now, because I, I know that my work is going to have something to do with the way our country was founded and the way it was built on the backs of Native Americans, African Americans, Asian people, the way, you know, the railroads being built by Asian people in the West and the slavery and the Native Americans where my hometown, the Winnebago Indian Reservation is about 18 miles from my hometown. So I'm just keenly aware that the whole country was built on that illusion of white supremacy and privilege. And I'm aware of feeling the need to enjoy and share the conversation around that. Mm. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know that writing these two scripts has, it scares me and it activates my own sense of wanting to protect myself. But writing is a safe place for me. So when you say script, are you talking movie or what? Two films, two, two films. ideas okay. for two different films. One is closer to my heart and will probably actually get finished first. But I've been batting this one around for a decade. So, wow. So... Very cool. I, and I also recognize who I am. I'm not known for my ambition. If I get a full first draft done, we're going to have a party. Yay. I want to come. Okay. <laughs> so linking back here. So 
What is your relationship to Lorendi? You met her a while back. Uh, Lorendi. Our mutual friend. So Very Lorendi, cool lady. Yeah, yeah. Lorendi is, well, I want to say exalted, enlightened, but in a more physical, visceral way. If I had, you know, married her, but... <laughs> well, she is already married, so... No, I know. But, <laughs> and no, you I are met gay. Her, I, met her, <laughs> I met her in 1979 in high school. Oh, did you really? Yes. Oh, wow. So... I would, when I say I would have married her, in hindsight, of course, right. she would have had a miserable sex life and it wouldn't have been fair. And we both knew it at the time, more like I think we probably both knew at the time it was an illusion. But so I, that was an intuitive thing? Yeah, I knew for sure at that time that I was already attracted and responded sexually to men. But you responded to her as a person. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, she was my swing choir partner. She was. We went to state speech contests together. We, you know, like everything. We went to, we went to uh, high school, all state choir together, and we were just we were for a year and a half we were inseparable, and then she moved to Wyoming, and we've pretty much remained inseparable. We had a little break, you know, that was just around college years, and then I found her again, and it's been. You know, she teaches me, she actually teaches me my own projection. So Hmm. I have in the last couple of years, three years, she moved to Southern California not long ago. Right. And the first thing that came up for me was a set of projections around her to keep me distant from her. So you were imagining that? I was in a place in my mind where I felt unsafe with that kind of unconditional love. Oh. And I made it about her. And I So you put up a barrier. I put up a barrier. Gotcha. And we recently, as far as I'm concerned, talked it through. She's always been in a place of she's pretty good about not being judgmental and just letting people have the energy and the space that they need for themselves. Right. She's pretty she's she's pretty cool. Right. And uh well, and then we were when we were talking last time, she was saying because you know she would mention some of her friends, and Mark Mark had remarked how astonished she was at that because he, he says you have so many friends, <laughs> you know, and she does. Yeah. I mean, and of course they, you know, they come in and out of her life as life goes on, and we all have our times together, and then we take a break for a while and then come back together but she's a pretty cool person and i have to say of all you know i've been doing the podcast for two months and hers is absolutely knocked it out of the ballpark as far as downloads i mean she's had my other most popular one she's more than double on the downloads because she has a huge following and everybody loves her of course they do that was really great and of course she hooked me up with you which is this has been a really fun time yeah So do you have any final words that you want to share with anyone? That element that, for me, the thread of the last 40 minutes or however long we've been speaking, I take connections to other human beings. They're pretty important to me. Getting back to that, if I'm just a grain of sand in this huge universe with 117 billion homo sapiens, then how important am I? I can say to you, the thing that is important to me is that basic human connection. And when there's a disturbance in the force between myself and someone that I adore, I find it confounding, and I'm often not able to just let it slide off my back. Mm -hmm. Again, I think that's probably pretty human. I think other people experience things the same way. That is, for me, the challenge going forward. 
It's just everybody's got their journey. None of it's personal, and it's all very personal. Indeed. Thank you for stopping in on your way through town. It's been great talking to you. And yes, Lorindy, I'm sure you're going to listen to this. And you're right. This was a great conversation. And Ben is a very cool guy. And uh, thank you for coming in. Thank you so much, Wilkinson. I've appreciated it.